It was at this moment that he knew. He bucked up. Welcome. You're listening to Bucked Up with Sam Buck. I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm happy we got to get this to work. Oh, Sam, thank you so much. Uh, man, I'm fucking sorry about last week, dude. That was such a nightmare. Yeah, no problem at all. Everything good with your laptop? I got a new laptop. I fucking rage purchased a new laptop at a Best Buy in suburban Indiana. So, <laughs> I... Uh, uh... I spilled coffee on my laptop once, and now I just can't drink coffee. It like ru- I lost everything, and I just have like a vendetta against coffee now. You have a coffee aversion because you <laughs> ruined a device. Yeah, because it ruined an expensive Apple laptop. Damn, dude, that's brutal. I uh, I mourn for both your laptop and your love of coffee. <laughs> I'm not a caffeine guy. I smoke Happy 420. I, I smoke a lot of weed, but I don't do caffeine. Oh, good for you, man. I, I I used to be that exact same way. I used to fucking chief reef 24-7 for, since I was like 14. And then uh, I had to quit weed because I started spazzing out and having like heart palpitations and like thinking I was dying all the time. <laughs> That's not good. That's a good reason to quit. Dude, it was the worst. It was like, uh, you know, your oldest, most trusted ally fucking your wife. That's what it felt like. <laughs> it felt like just betrayal. And uh, now I drink I drink coffee. Oh, I thought you were going to say you drink heavily. <laughs> no, I mean, I was always boozing. I was always, you know, crushing some Miller Lights here and there. But, uh, you know, man, I fucking it was my whole personality was just being stoned all day. And now I had to figure out, like, who I was underneath that cloud of reefer. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. I'm like, who I, I have a self-help podcast. and I still smoke weed every day. I, I don't know what what's my my problem, man. Fucking a lot of existence is just pain and sorrow for most people. So anything you can do to just cover that up. Uh, and also like fucking pot rules, man. I, 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 I envy all my friends who can keep just blasting it all the time. Well, it helped me get fit actually when I first, so I run every day. And when I started running, I would smoke two backwoods. I'd run for 10 minutes and then I'd smoke a third backwood and I'd be like, I'm a runner now. But now, like, I'll just smoke a fat joint and go for like a, you know, 5K or something. Good for you. Were you like a big fat hog before you started running? Yeah, I was. I was, uh, I mean, I was 280 at my most. Ooh, yeah. How tall are you? I'm 6'3", so yeah, I could hide. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. You wore it well. Okay, I wore. Cool. I would just wear baggy hoodies. That's my personality. Rap, weed and rap hoodies. Yeah, dude, that's a fine look. I'm like 6'5 and like 320, but... Uh, oh, shit, really? Yeah, so I lost, I lost weight uh, and then started lifting weights, and now I'm buying like all these Carhartt, like 4X tall, long-sleeve shirts. The Carhartts are the best, yeah. They're the best. But my wife thinks they, they look like a dress on me. I always love the ghetto gown. I love the tall T look, but I could never find them. And now I got these 4X talls and they hang to my knees and it looks like I don't, I don't have any pants on. And I fucking love this look. My wife is not a fan, but we're working on it. You just need to like walk through the woods with a rifle and you'd fit in. You got the orange hat. You could pull the hunter lifestyle. Thanks, man. I just love uh, I love all of uh, life too much to uh, ever kill it early. Congratulations on I just saw your post today about um, you're going to start publishing other people's books. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, that's breaking news. It's for the pod. Breaking it right here live. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. I I just read about this guy, Giancarlo de Trapano, who ran Tyrant Books, New York Tyrant. And uh, he died like April 1st. 
And I've just been immersed in learning everything I can about the guy. And he who was, was just he? Such a, I don't know about this guy. So he was just some dude from West Virginia who moved to New York after going to school in Loyola. And he loved literature, just like I do. And uh, he had a little bit of money. And he was like, well, I'm just going to start putting out books that I like. Like, he would find people on Twitter that he liked. And he'd be like, hey, have you ever written anything? Or he would like, you know, hit up authors that he uh, he liked. And he would you know, solicit them. And then he would put out these small runs of their books. And like one of his guys, like this Lish guy won a Penn Faulkner award. Uh, So yeah, he just, he just put out like books that would not have been traditionally published due to their subject matter or due to their, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm just like, fucking, I I think this guy's the coolest guy and it sucks that he's dead, you know, but uh, I'm going to start doing that now, just putting out books by people that I, I think are good and books that should be read or authors that should be read. Do you I'm have fired any... up right now, Sam? I'm fucking fired up, dude. Do you have any authors that you've been reading that you're trying to work with already? Yeah, dude. So our flagship, and this is breaking news. Uh, our first release is going to be by this guy, Ari Sertival, who wrote this beautiful, gorgeous little book called Double Nickels. And it's about, uh, you know, kind of just like suburban entropy and these two young people who like punk rock in the 80s and uh both their parents are are you know dealing with things and trying to escape their small town it's just it's a beautiful book he sent it to me i fucking plowed through it right away and uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna put some copies up and hopefully get some eyes on that book that's how what did you see in it like how did you find this book did he just send it to you yeah, he uh, he hit me up and was like, I liked your book, man. Um, here's my book. And I've received a lot of <laughs> very unsolicited uh, literature from people ever since publishing this book. It's like the like, male could not... version of a dick pic. <laughs> Dude, yes. Bingo, Sam. On the notes. Yeah, I'm just getting fucking flaccid hogs in the mail left and right. And... I don't have time for this. I don't, dude. I mean, I want I want everyone to if it's good, I'll love I would I'll champion anything I can. It's but a lot of the stuff painy, I've got I'll read it, but yeah, a lot of it's been very bad. Yeah, I bet. Most of it's been. You're a you're a stand up and an author, which usually those two things don't go together. No, yeah, there's never been. Uh, I mean, Norm Macdonald's book that his uh, faux is memoir amazing. is gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's, it's insane. It was probably the best work of fiction, and it is a work of fiction because he like fights God and goes like you know seal hunting in that book. <laughs> um, that was like such an amazing book. But other than that, it's all trash. I can't think of one. I mean, fucking Bill Maher wrote a book about stand up, which you can't find anymore because it was so bad. <laughs> no, no, you know, uh, has has Norm read your shit yet? I mean, he's a big part of your book, too. <laughs> oh, dude, he has not. He's radio silence. And also during quarantine, he was like he could have been dead for six months and no one would have known. But uh, he's received three copies of my book. Two have been delivered personally by friends of his and one more was sent by Doug Stanhope. So like I know he has three just kicking around his apartment and I know he like lives this weird Spartan lifestyle where he doesn't own anything. So it has to just be like bedding slips, a coffee pot, and then three copies of my book sitting in his apartment. <laughs> that yeah, he's he, it's now like it's like when someone told like I've never seen the Titanic because so many people have been like, You gotta see the Titanic. Yeah. You just need to maybe you do need to just keep delivering him books until he has like a room filled with them. And finally, one day he'll pick one up and read it. I mean, I hope, but also I understand his aversion to reading it because he probably assumes it's going to be trash because it was a self-published book by a fucking comedian. Well, like, you were I talk- understand. Yeah, you were talking about all the unsolicited books you were getting. He's probably been dealing that with that for years. 
Yeah, I think so. But also, like, you know, Sean O'Connor, who was the head writer on his show, was one of the people who delivered it. So these are trusted sources that he's receiving the books from. That is true. Yeah. But you had so many other people, like, champion your book. That is crazy. I Writing a book is one of those things that probably a lot of you, like, you did it. You set out and did something that a lot of people couldn't do. And for it to be so accomplished just for your first work, I mean. Thank you, Sam. I I loved reading. I I've always loved reading, which is people always don't believe me. I don't know why, but it's like <laughs> who there was a stand up at a show the other night and they were bombing and they asked like who reads out here and I was like I just like clapped and they point they're like no you didn't. It's like okay, <laughs> like well, I started the book club in my high school and it was just me and a bunch of Asian girls and two teachers. Like yeah, that was it's a good way to make friends. <laughs> I didn't make a lot of friends from there. Well, were you a chubby lummox at the time too? I was, yeah. I was a so, I was a big old fatty and I liked reading. <laughs> People probably assumed you were reading just like sword and sorcery books. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I was reading Cormac McCarthy. You were saying Hell yeah. I love the dark why I just love dark shit. I don't want yeah. anything to be happy in my uh no. fiction that I'm reading. Dude, Sam, you're preaching to the fucking choir, dude. I hate when books have happy endings. Nothing in life ever has a happy ending. Even if you do like find someone you love. The best thing that can happen to them is that they get a more near death. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. grieve you. So I don't understand these like books with fucking bows tied on them. I want bleak. My favorite books are books about a guy who's risking everything, uh, life and limb for like $300. Those are the books that I like. Yeah, no. It, Cause that's, uh, have you ever, this is not a book, but have you ever seen the show kidding the Jim Carrey show? I did. I watched the first season. Yeah, that show's fucked, and I try to recommend it to everyone, and they're like, "No way, that's too dumb." But I love. I don't want anything happy. Like, no. I was driving home after a show. I had read your book, and then I listened to the audio book, and I was driving home after a show, and I like the ending. Finish. I w- I won't spoil it, but it finished, and I was like, like laughing, like. That's amazing. And I kind of swerved into oncoming traffic. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is a be- this would be a beautiful way to end it right now. But yeah, that would have been I'm here. I'm here right now. Yeah, I'm glad you survived, man. Um, but <laughs> I mean, that that would have been ironic. This, the bad thing about that would be if you just finished the book and then like had some kind of terrible calamity, no one would know how hilarious it was. <laughs> it would just be me in whatever purgatory I'd be in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just dirt, you know? (laughs) Did you send your book to any like publishers beforehand? I did, man. I had like a very powerful literary agent due to Mishka Shubali. He got me this guy, Bird Leoval, who's the head of UTA. um, Oh, wow. Publishing or like he runs their memoirs. So like pretty much every big memoir that's come out recently, like I think he did Obama's book. He just did like Chip and Joanna Gaines. uh, He did their books. (laughs) So uh he was like, I love this book. Who's going to fucking read it? This is, a, this is a nightmare. This is hell. Like, who's this for? <laughs> this is bleak as fuck, man. And I was like, I don't know, dude. That's kind of your job. So <laughs> we got a couple, like, uh, we got a couple very small, minimal offers. And he was like, dude, this book is too good. Don't take these. Like, these, these, these are fucking, these are pittances. Like, don't take these. Uh, and luckily, I did not because I was able to be like, to make, you know, a nice nut and get the support of people and um but yeah i was heartbroken dude it really hurt to not be traditionally published did they ask you to change anything either no they did not he was uh his word 
was people people read the book and they were like there's a good book it's well written who's it for that was the big issue was like who's it for and i was like well i don't know maybe fans of stand-up comedy you know like uh i don't want to be insane here but it seems like most big podcasts are run by stand-up comedians i think we could sell you know a couple of these and he was like i don't know and i was like all right well you sound a thousand years old gilgamesh let's i'll just do this myself and uh, again it worked out it did well it did it hit immediately or was there like a time period where like oh i fucked up i just wasted a lot of my time no i mean when i was initially told that i should not publish traditionally when the head of fucking uta literary is telling you hey man you should put this out yourself you feel really defeated because like you have his attention and he likes your book and you're like okay cool this is going to be easy like i the hardest part is finding a literary agent i was always told and then when he tells you no, like it was, oh, good. So my book will never be reviewed by the New York Times. Like my book will never get uh, the fucking pat on the back of the literati, you know, which I'm so desperate for. I just want the approval of like major publishing. I want to be at the Algonquin round table. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. fucking sip opium tea with pretentious people. And uh, that's all I've ever wanted. Because, uh, you know, I love comedy. I love comics. I love being silly and not taking myself seriously. But I would love a reason to sound affected and detached. That would be awesome. No, you love your your shit's serious. I mean, of course your book's funny, but is that you're now getting a lot of response from like big comedians and getting support there, but it's not the the serious side of things because when I read that book, I was like, yes, this is for comics, but also I think comics will get might might be scared off by reading this. Like if you're if you're if you don't know that this is something you're you want to do, then that book could, you know, Running the lights could scare you off. Oh, for sure. I mean, what's even more fucked up is when people read the book and they're like, I started comedy because of your book. <laughs> that's that's the that's a fucking desperate cry for help, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know who, who would read this book and be like, Oh yeah, this is the lifestyle for me. This guy's got it all figured out. Like this <laughs> is for sure the golem that like... I'm afraid of turning into. This guy fucking terrifies me, you know, the chance of being this dude. Yeah. No, I read it and I was like this is still a life I'd rather live than working at a fucking sitting in an office and shit. It's correct. I, I, I agree with that. And you're on the road. I've been see, you've been hitting the road. Is it weird going back and doing these shows that you had just written about in a shitty manner? Like you're now not living the life that you were before, but you're like on the road doing road gigs. Well, luckily I've been removed from the gigs that he does uh, for a no while better. now. yeah no no more fucking duck shit bingo gigs um but like when i started in denver where i you know i still live in colorado all all of our first gigs on the road would be featuring for some like broken down husk of a man in uh in south dakota wyoming new mexico utah like some of the places the mountain region is not a destination for comedy you know what i mean this time zone is kind of a graveyard as far as like major cities for comedy and that's changing now but when i started going to the fucking you know buffalo thunder casino in alagomqua new mexico was a that was like a big deal to finally get that gig uh but yeah now i'm like you know the, it's weird to be out because i you know I've, I've i've been lucky that i get to do like some of the cooler rooms and stuff and i'm grateful for that but when people come out after they read my book and they expect me to be a version of this guy that i wrote about that's what's weird that's a tough one to 
that dissonance is strange because uh, I don't, I'm, I'm very silly on stage. And like, also I think that I, I try to do like creative, innovative comedy and not like the hacky shit that he was good at. Yeah. I love your comedy. That's like Thanks, watching man. your clips and it's so different from your, uh, your book, which I loved. Like, I love that you're happy and silly. And I started, I did improv first too. I want, I Hell did yeah. it because I was too scared to do stand up, but, <laughs> I, <laughs> but I saw that you started improv too. And I saw that in your stand up, how you like do act outs and you're lively and you're silly. And it is very different from who you wrote about. I think that it's interesting that you say that you did it because you were afraid of stand-up. I feel like improv is, being an improviser in the initial stages is infinitely more brave than stand-up. Because you have to go up there with like no plan. I think improv is so good for stand-up comedians because it teaches you how to fail. Mm -hmm. It teaches you how to eat shit in front of a crowd of people. Yeah, because I, I was 16, 17, and I had a troupe that we would have like shows that people would come to. Yeah. And then... I mean, if I'm being honest, then I started, we're talking about 420, and then I started smoking weed, yeah. and then I was, like, starting to slow down, and my improv was getting worse, and then we'd help stand up, I feel like. like I, I like, agree. It, like, slows me down, and I can, but it does not help with improv. I think that if you're the only guy who's baked out of his gourd in the improv team, it's rough, but if you're playing with like-minded, stoned individuals, those sets can be really fun. Do you do improv at all still? Not anymore, man. I mean, I did improv hardcore in 2005. I moved to Denver from my small town and started taking classes. And by level three, I was on the house team and I was fucking doing improv like four nights a week, uh, two shows on the weekend. And I loved it, dude. Because I mean, I'd never done it before. It's hard to get into improv. It is. But also, I, you know, again, dude, I think that I've had it. I think the fact that I'm such a fucking behemoth makes it a little bit easier for people to take a chance on me as far as like watching me do anything because mm -hmm. they're like oh my god look at this fucking monster what's he gonna do <laughs> oh my god all these other people are in danger they need to watch <laughs> out he's on the loose yeah and you can always be a character like you can always be like look at this you know whatever yeah the bigfoot ran up or whatever like, exactly you know yeah you're like oh the trucker's here or if you get on your knees it's like oh he's little now my god <laughs> yeah. what range this guy has he's he, <laughs> he's a virtuoso <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do like improv like did you watch the middle ditch and schwartz on netflix I did, yeah. I actually really, really enjoyed that. And I was worried it was going to be hacky being like the first improv special like that. But I really enjoyed it because when I think back of improv, I was like, was it hacky? Was I just young and thinking that was funny? Right. But like, no, that was quality improv. Oh, yeah. I mean, those Sonic guys, have you ever watched their improv? No. So the dudes who do those Sonic commercials, I can't remember their names, but holy shit, they, when two people are locked in and doing long form improv, which I prefer to, to short form. Uh, God, it can be so special. Like, you know, TJ Miller has had a fall from grace. Uh, but when he would come home to Denver, we would do two man improv. And he really like, like I was still young in the game and he'd been, he's more educated as far as improv was concerned. But God, the, the places we went on stage were some of the most, I don't know, just creatively fucking, uh, it, it was crazy, dude. I can't put words to how that made me feel just being up there and like it was transcendent. You can create other worlds, which probably helped you create like 
I, I like playwriting. That's like what my I would write plays that my when I was in college would put on at real theaters around. And I felt like improv was able to be like on the spot. You can create a world no matter what. Yeah, I agree. And you also can't be stuck to a world. Like when I when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, shit's happening in a very short amount of time. Like that's why I like like the Duplass Brothers movies. Like, oh, the, yeah, I love the short clip of someone's life. You don't need to show everything. You just need to no. show a point in time. And it could be the last point. But yeah. Oh, my God. I love their movies so much yeah did you write that did you write it to be a quick snippet or did you shorten it down or did you have the plan for what it was going to be in the beginning i had zero plan whatsoever man um i, I wrote probably 120 to 150,000 words of two other things that i thought were going to be my first novel and uh i was really pulling teeth man i was uh, you could really see the strings in the puppet show with those characters, the decisions they were making. And then Billy Ray, the character from my book, Running the Light, available at samtalent.com. Uh, he he just came out of me organically. And I was like, oh, I can write this guy. And then all the decisions he made. And it sounds so fucking pretentious to talk like about writing. But I felt like the decisions he made were true to his character. And I was more just kind of like, discovering them if it's to talk in improv terms like i was with him and we were figuring out what would happen next and why he was brought to these decisions and like what happened in his past to bring him to these awful gigs that he was doing and it just it it blasted out of me man it was uh it was like i was draining an abscess i didn't know i had it that's and it comes off like that it doesn't come off as you said like puppeteered at all it comes Thank off you. natural and it, that's why i wanted to ask you about improv because it came off as like i'm just gonna go from the top and just kind of create the world around me sam this is so insightful and i haven't connected these threads in my head but i think you're completely right i think the fact that i did improv so hard for so long and continue to improvise in my stand-up as much as possible it made me okay with not having a plan and I guess trusting myself to figure out what the narrative would be. Yeah. That's, that's honestly something that I feel like stand-ups are like uh, Billy, like he always had a joke to save him when he was in a shitty situation, but that doesn't happen when you're doing improv. No, There's never no. like a joke. You can say like, that'll save you. You can't just make fun of this dude and it'll be okay. Like that fourth wall failing, is a fucking fail. prison cell, dude. Yeah when you fail you fail and it, the audience knows you fail oh yeah and it's the worst i mean when good that's the thing about improv is when it's really good it's like the best thing you've ever seen it's better than any symphony ever any stand-up any live performance you've ever seen but when it's like not even when it's like okay you're like jesus christ this is a bloodbath we gotta get yeah. out of here <laughs> right, I, you probably saw this with the stand-ups you came up with and around is you could see someone have a good set or my friends will see me and the audience will love it but then there'll be like, you honed that in. Like it wasn't, even though the audience liked it, it wasn't a good set because you played it easy or you- Oh yeah. Like you're funny when you're off the cuff. You're funny when shit's about to go bad and you save it because they can tell when you're just like playing what you know. Yeah, I, I read a thing where they literally, like they can- <laughs> humans are so perceptive of like non-verbal cues people can tell when you're just reciting things compared to when you're saying things that are literally brand new and 
their perception of you changes moment to moment. I can't remember what I fucking read it. I was trying to pull a Cormac McCarthy and like read a bunch of like scientific journals and shit. <laughs> and then I was just like totally bored and hated it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, there's something about like when people tell that you're doing something for them uh, and it's like organic, like the best shows I have are the ones where I improvise 45 minutes and people are like, oh my God, we'll never see that again. And it's like, yeah, like that's, that'll never happen again. And like when you watch Rory Scovel or James Adomian, oh my god, yeah, you know John Dory, you're like, oh my god, this is just for us. Like you, I never, I rarely am at a show. Also, I'm rarely watching stand up unless it's my friends. But I, when I do watch people like that, I do that thing where I'm grabbing strangers, like, you know, like you're like, yeah. like you're like you're in a plane crash and you're like yeah. trying to make sure that you're still tethered to some kind of society. You're like just rocked, you know, and like that's the best. It's like when you when I was a kid and I'd watch wrestling. And the weirdest thing about like professional wrestling is you'll see there's very few places in the world where you see like a 13 year old boy, like when Undertaker comes out, you see a 13 year old boy turn to like a 55 year old black man and they just both grab each other by their shoulders and shake each other. Like they were, they were complete strangers before this, but now since Undertaker just came, just threw mankind off the cage, their fucking brains are shattered, you know? And I love those moments. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like about that stand up is that way too where the it's funny rory scovel was i got in a really bad hockey accident when i was 17 oh no and i had to lay in a dark room for a month and all i did was listen to stand up and podcasts for that month i couldn't even listen to music and when i got out the first thing i ever i did was to go see doug benson and rory scovel opened up yeah. And it was like the first stand up I had seen after being like, this is what I want to do. And he did a Southern accent, like really strong the entire time. Yeah. And pretended to be like a Christian character. And I had seen him on podcasts before, but that seeing that first, it was like life, like that's a different type of, that's someone who does not just stand up, like they're theatrical, they're creating something else. Yeah, dude. I remember when he was working out that exact thing. And also, how brave of Doug Benson to follow Rory Scovel. What? I know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, I love Doug. People shit on him, but I really do love Doug Benson. There's certain comedians that I think get painted as dumb, but are like Nick Swartzen gets painted as dumb, but I think he's a brilliant comic. Yeah, Swartzen's a killer for sure. And I don't think, I think Doug Benson might be one of the most uh, innovatively, his business mind is insane. The way he's been able to brand himself and like do those 420 shows and just print money. Yeah, I just think, I mean, I wouldn't want to fucking follow Rory, you know, even if I was no. Doug Benson, even if everyone was there literally to see me, you have to go up after Rory creates a world in a Southern accent. Ugh. What made you make the switch from improv over to stand up if you were doing it so heavily? I really love stand up. Uh, I, well, no, excuse me. I really loved improv, and I always thought I was going to be like a Second City guy. Like, uh, I thought I was going to go to Second City and do sketch comedy and improv and shit. And then uh, I took a bunch of acid. I was in college in like Denver. Uh, I thought I was going to play football. I didn't play football, so I was like, I'll move to Denver and do improv. And then I hated college, and uh. <sighs> I don't know, dude. I, I always thought it'd be cool to try stand up. And also like, you're kind of hamstrung by the people who you're improvising with. Like I would like play with, you know, my buddy Ryan Madding or Galloway Albright, like they were amazing improvisers and it was always the most fun in the world playing with them. But then when you had to do the short form two shows on a Saturday, like the game style improv, it just really took the wind out of my sails. 
Yeah. So I got into, I tried stand up and I was like, I was immediately good at stand up uh, until the fifth time I did it. I bombed at the most important show I'd ever done at that time, which five shows, who cares? But it was the finals of the Comedy Works contest. I like, oh, that is a big show. Yeah. It, I fucking shanghaied my way through and, you know, just was a total snake oil salesman through the first two rounds. And then the fifth time I did stand up was the finals and I went first and I fucking bombed. It was, it was a nightmare. Were you, ha- um, were your jokes like, were you hack? What happened? Why'd you bomb that? Wasn't hack. I mean, I had this like force of nature personality that was working and like I had, you know, like I'd been doing improv enough that I had some bits that I was like, maybe I could repeat that and it would be a thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, after the first round, I was writing jokes for the second round before I went on stage that night. And then the third round I had to do seven minutes. I only had five minutes. So I was writing jokes that night and it just the wheels fell off and it was uh yeah it was bad but uh you know I lo- I figured out eventually that you can do stand up like you do improv uh when you see guys like we've already mentioned and it's it can be really special as well. Can we go back to you taking too much acid? Cuz yeah, I started sure. this podcast cuz I did DMT and thought oh, I met nice. Buddha. So I want to know about too much drugs getting you to where you are. Yeah, I think it's really important for, uh, I mean, I don't know, your brain doesn't form till you're 25, obviously, is what I've been told. But (laughs) I think it was really important for me as a kid to, because I played music first, I'm a drummer. And when I was a kid, like 15, yeah, I played drums and I was in bands before I did improv or stand up, like I was touring nonstop. And I've told this story a bunch on podcasts, but still a good story. My best friend moved to uh, Ithaca, New York to go to school. And I moved up there with him, dropped out of college moved up there to live in this anarchist compound. And like when I was younger, like 15, 16, 17, we would just get all the musicians in my very small town and we'd lock into my parents' barn and just like get as many Keystone lights as we could get our hands on, just get fucking, you know, ounces of mushroom, blotter, as weed was easy to get. And we would just get fucked up and jam for like three days straight. Just like, you know, there'd be a saxophone, there'd be like seven guitars, there'd be like three bass drum, or three bass guitars, I'd be on drums, we'd switch off on drums. And that was just like forming my brain. So I moved to Ithaca, and me and Clay were in this band, the bass player who went to school there. And we, you know, I just ate a bunch of acid and ate a bunch of mushrooms and really made me like realize how short of a time we have and how you should just like pursue the things that you really love you know, to arguably a selfish degree because they, they're, when else are you going to do them when you're old? No way. Yeah. Did you do, I'm not an acid person. I'm a mushroom person. Yeah. Was there a point where you like took, it was just too much over a long period of time. There wasn't like one time where you, because the only time I took acid, I've taken mushrooms dozens and dozens of times but i got a kid tried to rob me right when i was peeking on acid the first oh, time no. i was like i don't think i'm gonna do this again for a little bit yeah no that's such trauma that sucks <laughs> i'm sorry that happened to you yeah it was shit i mean it was just a shitty passing like i was walking down an alley because i was too hot i was in a vape store which is never trip in a vape store no, and i got dude. all claustrophobic <laughs> and i had to go outside and i walked into an alley and a kid tried to rob me oh man yeah that's uh that's brutal. That sucks. I would have hated that for sure. Um, I mean, there was times when I definitely ate too much acid or mushrooms or a combination of all life. of them at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't really like, I don't have like a pivotal trip where I was like, oh no, but it was just like over a period of time where like I lived in this punk house in Denver called Mouth House where we would have shows going on every night. 
and we got heavily into Devo. There was just like sheets of acid laying around the house. And we got so into Devo that like we started all we started making the hats. That's when you know it's going bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Cosplaying Devo. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that's when I kind of realized I also met my wife around that time and she uh you know she made me a better person for sure. But... <laughs> I thought you were gonna say she made you a better hat. No, no. <laughs> she, she really she... her crafting <laughs> skills are a lot better. <laughs> oh it's hilarious no she did she not understand the hats <laughs> it was tough to indoctrinate people into that weird because all these people were people i grew up with so it was like 16 of us who just had this strange twin language living on top of each other and just playing music 24 7 and yeah um, we were in a cult <laughs> we were in a devo cult dude for sure Devo cult. <laughs> yeah you would just walk into different rooms and there'd be different like Devo live in 78 in like Akron, Ohio. Just different Devo live bootlegs from That's YouTube on in every room. That's a shitty band to pick. You couldn't be like other like... You well, hey, man. Like... <laughs> All right. Let's chill out. You turn off the Zoom. You're like, yeah. not, there's no shit talking Devo here. I mean, yeah. you're right. I don't know why it was Devo. I don't know why we all decided Devo was the the truth in the way. <laughs> when you're when you're like doing that many drugs, you don't you just cling on to whatever you want to. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I just think that eating uh, psychedelics teaches you like empathy and compassion. And I uh, I've I'm really I'm really glad that I had so many of those uh, experiences with so many people that I loved and cared about. You know. How is your like substance control now? Because you write very heavily about like substance abuse. Yeah, so I don't, I don't. That's the weird thing. People think I'm this like coke pig, but uh, I've done cocaine maybe twenty times. I usually just do cocaine when it's someone's doing it off of a cool object, you know. <laughs> like recently, I did cocaine because they were all doing it off the tip of a broadsword, and I was like, well, I gotta do this. <laughs> like this is medieval yeah exactly like i'd be remiss you know uh so yeah i'm not a big cocaine head my issue for sure with substances is too many light beers i fucking mm. you know i'll go on the road and uh you said miller light was yours miller light's my favorite beer because i like a beer i can have like 15 of you know? i was a natty light guy i used to finish off a 30 pack of natty light i used to be a big drinker in one sitting 30 I would say like in a day I could do 30. I was sure. a see when I was drinking a lot like I drink natty to call, but I drink a lot of Jack Daniels. Like mm -hmm. probably a handle every other day when I was drinking my most. Wow, see that's uh that's cool first of all and also It's not that cool. It's no, not it's not. I'm glad you quit doing that, but <laughs> how old were you when you were polishing a a fucking handle of Jack? like 18 19 okay good yeah that's when you should be doing that is when you can be reckless and like you've never really known pain yet you know that's yeah. that's good but then people always look they're like you don't know and i was like okay because i am young i'm still i'm still a young i'm still a youngin but i did how old are you stuff. sam i'm 23 i feel like you're good gonna for you good for it's not good for me it is good man that's the best dude you have so much possibility in, ahead of you you're you're like you can do whatever the fuck you want right now that rules but I get scared that I'm going to fuck it up. Like you talk, like I get mm -hmm. scared that like I have good things going for me now and I yeah. feel like I'm going to fuck it up. Nah, dude. I mean, that's, that's, that's something you need to work on, but I'm talking to you. You're 23. I'm enjoying our conversation. You seem insightful. Uh, I think you got, you can do whatever you want, brother. I'm happy for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. What 23 rules. 
<laughs> Thank you. Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm like, I don't have money. I don't know where I need to find a place to live. I Who fucking to... cares, dude? <laughs> I want to Seriously. invest in shit. You were talking about like, so you you started this publishing company because you sold a book and independently were able to make money and then invest yeah. into that. I have all these ideas that's like, I just want to invest in it, but I don't have anything to invest right now. So I need to create something that will get me. Well, Sam, I got to tell you, man, I didn't have money. I'm, th- I'm about to be 34 May 2nd and I didn't have money until I was, and by have money, I mean, have my rent paid without worrying about it until I was like 29. Like, I think a lot of young people have this idea of like, you need to have money so you can have social collateral. And it's like, you have your youth, you have your freedom. And that's like, I know that so many people would trade every penny they have to, to be young again. I mean, not that I'm an old fucking, you know, piece of uh, wood or something, but yeah, I don't know, dude, I, I would, I would really try and focus on the fact that you, you're young and like celebrate that. What made you get your life together at 29? I didn't get my life together. I mean, I just, that's the thing is like, I lived in these, I was in bands that would tour and I would live in, you know, anarchist compounds where my rent was eight, like 180 bucks a month. I would share a closet with my best friend. When I lived at Mouth House, I would, that was the big punk house in Denver with the Devo hats. Me and my best friend, Nathan Lund shared a bed for like 150 bucks a month. Like the whole point was like, if I don't have any overhead, I can do whatever I want. Like I'd much rather have the hours of my day completely free so I can create or also freedom doesn't have a purpose. That's another thing you got to remember is that you can like, if you're, you don't have anything to do, you can just go to the park with your friends and trip acid and like laugh, you know, like laughing is all that really matters. Laughter and love is like all that matters in life. I think. Uh, So I would dumpster food, you know, I would rely on the fucking, you know, I would, I also had to be really funny so I could get jobs. You know, like if I would, if I had like some fallback, I wouldn't have worried so much about the hundred dollars I'd make in Sheridan, Wyoming, featuring for Troy Baxley. Like I wouldn't have killed at every open mic. I wouldn't have become undeniable um, because I would have had some kind of safety net. And I think that like when people like you said, you're worried about where am I going to live? It's like you'll figure it out, you know, like hopefully you have enough friends that'll take you in and you'll be a nice enough, like, you know, grateful uh, couch crasher to fucking do the dishes and make sure everything's clean like um yeah man don't worry about any of that shit i need the pep talk because i do want to i want to give a shout out to my producers ani and irish because they do let me crash on their couch in new york when i come because i live yeah. outside in a small town in massachusetts so it's to come down to new york and be able to do things when i'm out here is very appreciative and the you said undeniable which is something i try to think about like i just want to be undeniable and stand up and that's that's kind of all that matters when you're saying like the laughter it's like i just want to like i want to be good at this thing that i dedicate my life to yeah you want to crush you want to kill you want to murder you want to maim that's all i've ever wanted to do is just leave a fucking you know trail of skulls after i get off stage i don't want anyone to be able to follow me i'm also hyper competitive about shit like this because i'm an ex-jock but like you know i've i I love my friends in stand-up and i'm so grateful that i have friends in stand-up but when the fucking you know when there's meat on the bone i'm gonna try and eat every bit of it you know yeah well do you think you lived this life that is crazy and you were able to you know live at the bottom and just kind of figure life out that gave you this experience that you can now express outwardly like you took so much in that now you can express outwardly i don't know man i writing and your stand-up like was it beneficial those times 
Yeah, I mean, it was beneficial to not have to go to a job that sucked the life out of me. You know, like I worry that people think that I'm like fucking really thumping myself on the back, but I was destitute, man. Like I would live off the $25 I made hosting a Lion's Lair open mic. That was like the only money I had coming. And I had to get very creative because I, I found it more valuable to not have to go to a job and have money than I did to be able to like, you know, take any gig, stay out till 3am with my friends, uh, you know, fall in love once a week with a new person and, you know, try and follow that to wherever it ended horribly, typically. Uh, yeah, just like all that possibility was so uh, intoxicating. And I, I think that that was just I, I knew because of all the drugs that I did and all like the life that I saw as a young person, that it was just more important for me to like do these things than it was to have any sense of security. Yeah. And that's the the stand up. Lo- like, what I really liked about the audiobook is how having different stand-ups read each one it was kind of like their life i mean i know that's probably what you, but like their life they were telling it and they're like expressing how they lived that life because it might be different for each one but if you want to be a stand-up you want to eat some shit sometimes on stage and off stage just in life like you need to go through the bad times yeah i think everyone should i think so many people uh don't really experience uh the ex- extreme emotions either way where they live like right down the middle and they have nice comfortable lives but you know i've had my heart broken i've fucking swam in a million different rivers i've made friends i've uh you know i've been wronged i've been ripped off like all these this well of experience i've had i think is is very good for someone who wants to be creative you know if you could all the different emotions you can draw off through firsthand experience or that just makes you they're just fucking arrows in your quiver of uh of emotions you know and i think that that's important how does that make you feel then to have all the all like the comedians come together for the audiobook like all these you know people because that that must help somewhat like when you see all the names who are reading it's like god damn this is really something Oh, it was it was the smartest marketing move I've ever made, Um, you know, because people might not listen to Tim Dillon, but they love Mark Maron. So if Maron's reading a chapter, they'll buy it. Uh, And if people love, you know, Ari Shafir and they don't love Burt Kreischer, well, they're going to buy it because of Ari. Um, So like that was good. But really, dude, it's just gratitude. Like everyone who read that chapters of the book did it completely free. They didn't ask me for a penny. And I didn't have to twist any arms. I mean, it was tough to get some of them to schedule it and like get it done, but they, I would ask them and I don't, you know, I've never met Tim Dillon before, but I know Ben is producer and Ben was like, I'll make Tim do this. And I mean, it's just gratitude, man. All these people that I like admire and respect. Um, ah, it just, it, it felt so good, man, that they said yes to it. What, what made you come up with that idea? just marketing i was like hopefully each of them will tweet about it and hopefully i can be on their podcasts and promote it and for the most part i mean everyone did share it on their social media and everyone did mention it even if i didn't appear on their pods like um it was just totally a marketing move to cover as many demographics as i possibly could yeah dan soder was the best reader i would yeah him and gethard on different ends were the best i think yeah he like i was like oh damn he like knows what he's doing because i love I grew up listening to, I like reading, but I also do love audiobooks. So yeah. I appreciate someone who can read well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I sold an Audible original and I'm trying to get Soder to read that because he was so amazing. He, I mean, his voice is perfect. He's also a Colorado guy. He's been so nice to us. And who's funnier than Dan Soder? Yeah, he's um, 
What's the Audible original about? Uh, it's about a kid who bare knuckle boxes to make money or to make to earn the pills that keep his dying grandmother alive. What's it called? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm not sure. The working title is Heroes. So how how did that come together? Because you said it's a, it's just going to be an audiobook. Yeah. So most things that are good have come through the most good things have come from Mishka Shubali. He's an author and a troubadour and a singer songwriter who I met doing stand up because he was in the uh, you know the Stanhope sphere and he was the one who was like, hey, here's my literary agent. Send it to him. Uh, here, send this, you should send this to Stanhope. Stanhope would love this book. Um, and then he connected me with the guy at Audible who ended up buying the story off me. And uh, yeah, they do these things called Audible Originals, which are like 20,000 word short stories that they just produce like a radio play. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Have you ever so, written anything like that before? Like, did you, were you wrote plays or radio plays or anything like that? Theater? No, I mean, I love True West. I fucking love Sam Shepard. He rocks. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, so it's I didn't. It's not actually like they produce it like a radio play, so there'll be like sound effects and stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, but like, it's not. It's not a play. It's a short story. It's prose. It's literature that'll be read uh, with a little bit of uh, bells and whistles put on it. Do you want, like, being an author to be your next chapter in life, or do you is stand up still something that you're trying to pursue? During quarantine, it was easy to say I was okay with just becoming an author, but then I've been out on the road the last six weekends, and I, for, I've, I don't know, I was able to compartmentalize the fact that like stand-up was going to be gone for a while, and I could focus on the book, and luckily I had people patting me on the back about the book, and I was getting validation that way for that entire year, but no, man, I mean, I'll always be a stand-up. Stand-up uh, is the fucking shit, and I love it dearly. But I mean, I would love to have the opportunity to, you know, be embraced by the literary community. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm not I, I, I think I can you can do both, you know, I, I'm not going to eschew like any kind of like opportunities to be an author. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would fucking love to be able to like teach at Oberlin for three months, you know, just like teach the contemporary American novel or like do a workshop at uh at any small liberal arts school that would take a chance on me. I, that sounds like really cool. Just doing new stuff sounds cool to me. What What were your dreams when you were a kid? Like teaching at a university, you know, you've been able to create this because of your life, create like you could teach at a university, university one day. Is that even what you planned doing when you grew up or like? No, I think for better or for worse, I've been very good at really not having much of a plan. Like I really try to live like, moment to moment that's really important to me um but yeah i don't know when i was a kid i thought i was going to play football and then i thought i was going to be a second city person and then my entire adult life has been defined by being a stand-up comic so it's just like you know i haven't really been able to think outside the parameters of being a comedian for the rest of my life so it's like what's next what's the next move and hopefully it's just being able to talk to young people about the books they like and like what gets them fired up do you does it feel weird getting respect or do you feel like you got more respect in stand-up now from the book something that's not even I mean it's about stand-up but it's not stand-up um I don't know man I mean I've been lucky in the way that like people have always you know I, I it just I just you're setting me up to sound like such a fucking pompous windbag it's not your I'm fault so, I don't mean no it's I, not your fault no, you're, you're doing I, a good I job hear. I understand 
I just I can just hear my friends like you know making fun of me whenever I say anything that I think sounds insightful. But uh, it's the stand up in you. No, it is because it is, anything yeah. serious. Like I try to do, like a lot of my friends have silly podcasts and that's great. But I do want to talk about serious things. And whenever I feel like being serious, the stand up in my brain's like you fucking asshole. Like you've yeah. got to make a joke about it. Like life yes. isn't serious because that's how the stand up brain works. But as you said, like you can do two separate things. Like I want to be serious and be silly. Like I don't get why those two things can't go hand in hand. I don't either, man. And we need to be on like the vanguard of making sincerity okay in stand up, I think. Um what's weird about my stand up, like you've seen it, it's very silly and like absurd yeah. and like not based in any kind of reality really. Everything I say on stage is made up and it's designed to get the most laughter in the shortest amount of time. Like I'm trying to fucking kill. So you know, I don't think people expected my book to be like good, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think they expected it to be like filled with like prose. Like I really love like people who kind of combine, who put the poetry in their words, you know? So I don't think anyone expected this thing to be like as good as I think it is and as good as people have said it is. Um, so that's, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I've gotten more respect in stand-up but like you know mike kaplan sent me an email yesterday about how much he liked the book and james adomian just bought four copies off my website like you know hari kondabalu like all these people who i've never met in real life i mean i've met adomian before but like to get them saying like hey man i want my friends to read this is it's just so it's so nice to hear that you know it really moves me yeah it I mean, Stan Hope is, I would say, the greatest of, he's probably my favorite stand-up of all time. I think he's, because he's, he, when you were talking about, we can be, he's the van, he makes serious and funny better than anyone. Like, yeah, but he's not a sincere person. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no, I guess that's true. I mean, he can be earnest, and the things he's talking about are very heavy, but, like, I, I was lucky. He had me out to stay in the compound for a couple of weeks over the quarantine. Mm -hmm. And he's just goofing and making shit jokes, you know, and like, he's very smart and he's able to write. But again, like, I don't know many people who like, it's tough to be, especially in, out where you're at, like in New York, those guys, they hate being silly and they hate being sincere. <laughs> so it's like, what, yeah. what do New York comics, like, what, where, what do we do? You know, <laughs> like, that's yeah. why Soder's such an anomaly out there. Cause he's so silly and such a good time. And you know, Shane Gillis is my friend and he hates the idea of being silly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's weird. I don't understand New York comics that way. It's it's the cold. It's every like the hardest. This is actually it's funny because I have a lot of rappers on this podcast, too. I love rap. That's yeah. And a lot of the hardest rappers are from the coldest areas. Like if you look at like Chicago, Detroit, Flint, Buffalo, New York, like these places that are super cold are super hard because it's like you got to like fight for the inside space. It's limited to the inside space and you have to fight for it. Interesting. That's great. That's a great insight. I've never, ever thought about that. You ever watch Chappelle's Block Party? Uh, Yeah, the movie that came out? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah like of course. A long time ago. So that was yeah. like my dad's favorite movie growing up. And I... He says like rappers and comedians think a lot of think uh, a lot alike, and I agree with it. Where it's like giving the most amount of fucks without giving a fuck at all. Like you have to pretend like you're not caring yeah. while putting the most time and effort and care into something.
Yeah, that's such a weird line to toe, man. Because like I see that in LA all the time where I'll go out there fresh off doing, you know, fucking a week from Cincinnati all the way up to Chicago. And I'll go audition for these things that comics are auditioning for in LA. And if it looks like you're trying it all out there, like that's it's like icky. Like they hate to look like they're sincerely trying at stand up. At least like the younger comics who I'm auditioning with do. And then I go up there with like this fucking fire, fire breathing material that worked in Gary, Indiana 10 days ago. And you can just see like all the managers and agents and like people in the crowd being like, what the fuck is this? You know, to go from like some kind of like twee, like, oh, we're all so silly to like me talking about my wife masturbating for five minutes. It's just like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a strange, uh, it's, 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 it's weird to see those worlds combine, you know? Well, you probably, I don't want to speak for you, but it's like, I came up doing mics where people didn't want to hear comedy. Like, it wasn't like clubs. It wasn't like, oh, we're here for comedy. It's like, I'm going to make you pay attention to me and make you laugh, even if you don't want to. Like, the first mics I hit were like, on Cape Cod, that's where I'm originally from, the shittiest mixed open mics where it's like, people would throw drinks at me and it's like, coming up in shit made me be like, I'm going to make, I don't care if you don't want to hear it. Cause I'm going to try to make you laugh other than, Oh, you want to hear comedy? Let me tell you some jokes. Oh yeah. I mean, shit makes the most fertile soil. It's good compost, you know? Like um, you came up in the middle, middle t- city. Like you said, Gary, Indiana. It's like, they, that's not New York or LA. It's not like what comedy is going to get me the farthest. It's like, are you funny or are you going to fuck off? Yeah. I mean, also we're lucky that like comedy is so big now. So there's like good shows in pretty much every city. But yes, when I was starting in Denver, Denver, there's a lot of like the stink of the old Boston eighties guys in Denver. Um, so yeah, like it was very much like, shut the fuck up. I'm about to kill was the ethos that all the guys and girls that I respected growing up had where there's like, Oh, these guys are going to kill. And if you don't listen to them, they're going to kill despite that. And also be very mean to you in a way that makes everyone else laugh. But yeah, like the Squire Lounge was the best mic in town. It started on midnight on a Tuesday. And like, if you were funny there, you were anointed. You were part of the crew. But if you weren't funny there, everyone thought you were the worst. And it was brutal. But it was like that kind of like baptism by fire that really makes strong comedians, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, when the world opens up, do you want to tour? You, do you, you have a kid. You have a kid, I thought, right? I do not. Here? I have a niece who I just oh, spent the weekend niece. with. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be able to tour. Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense. No, that's the biggest. Uh, I mean, I before pandemic, I was working 40 to 45 weekends a year for like the last 10 years. That's I love working. I love stand up. It also was how I made all my money. I was completely just made money through stand up. So I have a hard time turning down gigs because I remember hitting bookers up in the past and they'd say no. And now when they say yes, I'm like, well, I'll go do it, even though you know, the money might not be uh, what I'd hope it would be because hopefully next time they'll pay more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, my wife wants a kid sooner than later. And uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, we're, we're probably, probably, I think we're going to have a child and we'll be good parents, but I really enjoy the opportunity to be selfish and do whatever I want and irresponsible, you know, beyond like my responsibilities to my wife and family and friends. Like I want to have integrity with them, but also, I want to be able to do a podcast in the middle of the day. And then I want to be able to just go walk to the river and read a novel uh, or write yeah. or whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know. 
I also don't think being on the road that much is good for people after a long time. I think it's like a younger person's game for sure. You don't think you wrote it in a kind of like longing? What did you write? Like, there's no longing in like the shitty, just traveling every night, getting fucked up, just doing comedy and killing. I mean, I did that for so long. I would go, you know, three weeks at a time out, come home for four or five days, go back out. And I did that forever. And then, you know, my I met my wife and I was like, well, I kind of want to make this work because in the past, stand up was my first love. It's still always my first love. You know, she's mm-hmm. like we're in a three way relationship, but she's she's the most important thing to me. So also being out like that, dude, it was fun, but also like. It's just bad for you physically, yeah. you know, like drinking 12 Miller lights every night eating at the only Denny's that's open in, uh, you know, fucking sleeping on someone's floor. It's romantic, but I think it has a shelf life. Yeah. And then you couldn't focus on like getting that book out, like creating something that you can offer the universe and in a way that you have to really focus. I mean, to write a book, you have to focus. That's something that, and to write a good book, you you know, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I wrote that book when my my wife did her first two years of med school in Las Vegas, and I moved from Denver, where I was king shit, and I could do whatever I wanted with my friends all day, every day. And I was already writing short stories in Denver, but nothing that spectacular. And then moving to Vegas, where like my wife had 12 hour days, I was widowed by her being in med school, like I didn't, she wasn't, she couldn't like, you know, give me the attention that I was used to, which was good because she's a fucking doctor and she's a good doctor now. Yeah. But yeah, I had to figure out a way to be creative because I couldn't even go outside in Vegas. It's 120 degrees, 11 months out of the year. So I was just trapped in my house all day. uh, And I just fucking wrote, you know, and I think that isolation was so key to me because now I know that I can write a book. I just need to like sit down and do it. But it's, I mean, you said that was like a tough time and you can tell that there's pain in the book and it sounds like your new story you sold is like painful. Do you feel like you have to get to that dark place to write? No, I mean, I think that I would love to read a story about a 16 year old who bare knuckle boxes to get the cancer money his grandma needs. Like that's a, that's a fun story. I don't, oh, it's a fun, I, I, okay. If it's a fun story, I didn't know. If well, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's <laughs> like, like uncut gems is not a fun like he has story. Clown makeup on. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I love uncut gems. As we were talking about, I don't want happy shit. No. I yeah. Like. Do you feel like pain has to come from pain? I don't. To write something fucked up, you have to be fucked up? I don't think so, man. I think that you can just be creative. I mean, there's plenty of people who write books about dragons. They've never met a dragon before. <laughs> that is you know true. what I mean? That yeah. is true. But all the good books, they met a dragon. And all the good books, they never have dragons in them, too. <laughs> never. If you ask I me. Like <laughs> I hate sci-fi. I hate all that shit. What good books? Are, like, what, what are you reading right now? Because I am looking. For, after I finish your book, I need another one. Okay. Are you looking for like more novels to read? Yeah. Because mm-hmm, I'm usually a nonfiction guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My favorite novel is Angels by Dennis Johnson, who also wrote Tree of Smoke, which won the National Book Award um angels that, by I'll angels write, by dennis yeah write these down i'll give you some quick ones all right angels by dennis johnson is awesome it's about a bank robbery gone awry and it's beautiful poetry um 
I think The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers is a book everyone should read. It's about like freaks in the South getting drunk. Um, Blood Meridian's the best book ever. Um, Otessa Moshfe is writing really exciting books right now. Um, and then everyone should check out Sinan Jones, who wrote The Dig. He writes these very short novellas. He's out of Wales. And the books he writes are just like, so uh, the way he's able to condense down these feelings is uh is just i've never seen anything like it before but there's so i mean i'm i read books all the time that's like as soon as i'm done with this i'm going to finish this book i'm reading called indian killer and then i'm gonna start another book called rock springs like i'm excited how are you finding your books now now that you're getting all these um all these fucking dick pics um well that's also cool is people will be like hey i liked your book have you ever read this book and i'm like no and then you google it and you're like oh okay i'll read that um do you I've got... i'm a big cover guy like you have such a great cover of your Thanks, book man. that like i love picking shit off the cover whether it's music books like i do judge books by their cover i think that's smart uh i don't know if you've ever read any of the new york review of books books that they're reissuing but all those covers are fucking austere and gnarly and i've i found those books just because the covers are all so well done oh yeah yeah who did the art on yours uh so the initial the first cover which was the photograph was my childhood friend anthony sandrin bonzo and he's just always taking photos of like freaks on the fringe i'm actually going to put out his book of photography on too big to fail press as soon as he fucking finishes it that lazy <laughs> doper um and then it the second one create art he has the photos <laughs> he's had them all laid out he just needs to fucking put down his bong and quit gambling on the nuggets and just fucking do the layout man yeah, come on gambling Bonzo. on the nuggets <laughs> just put the fuck out <laughs> yeah dude come on we get it Jokic is good for double doubles most nights move forward <laughs> we'll make different money this way bonzo he also shot my special he was the cinematographer on my special so he rocks um and then the guy who did my new cover is this kid i grew up with named richard ingersoll who was in my sister's grade and uh he was in that devo cult he was eating acid with us in that house and he was he loved the book and he was like hey man like i drew this thing do you want to see it it's kind of like inspired by your book and i was like oh that's great how can i monetize this immediately richard how can i how can i take this nice gift you gave me and fucking you know turn it into cash so he was like yeah of course use it so uh he did that and you know it, it's beautiful i fucking love how it is it if i saw that book on a shelf i'd be like what the fuck is this and i think that's important yeah it, for real that's I, rem- I remember, you know, specifically seeing the cover for the first time. And then it was like, I would say within two days, I, I got the book and read it because it was like a friend had it. And it's cool seeing stand-ups read. Stand-ups don't read. No, and I think don't. know the. I think a lot of them know that I read. So they'll and all a lot of them were like, have you read this book? And yeah. It was kind of cool. I didn't tell anyone that you were coming on because I didn't know if it was uh if your laptop broke or not, if it was going to happen, you know, I like, Oh yeah. Spoil that shit. If you're like, yeah, he's going to, and then it doesn't happen, but comics read your book, which is cool. Cause comics don't read shit. It's the biggest compliment, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great. I'm glad that, I mean, if you can make someone read, who's never read a book in the last 10 years, like it, there's no better compliment that fucking rules. And that must be, you're making a, you're make, do you feel like more comics are going to try to write novels now? I, I mean, that'd be great. If you can inspire anyone to try and do anything, that's great, you know? Yeah, and especially with your... Are you going to be looking for, like, comics for your publishing? Or are you looking for just 
all authors from different spectrums. All authors. You know who I want to put out a book by is Megan Keister. Do you know her? Why does that name sound familiar, but I don't? She's a comic, and a uh, she's written a lot of stuff for, like, Vice and whatnot. And she has these very, like, they're almost violent in how acerbic they are. Uh, just her 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 opinions uh, and I really like the way she writes and I'm I sent her a DM and I don't know if she's going to take it seriously but I'd love to put out a book by her that's so cool that you can create this and you know you said you just lived by the seat of your pants for your whole life and that you were able to create something now that you really can put forward and Put something out into the universe and build something important because that's really what i think we all want in the end of the day i mean yeah i mean i don't know i just like stanhope and kreischer and marin helped me get you know they use their platforms to amplify me so i'd like to use my very meager small platform to maybe sell 200 to 500 books for people who <laughs> can barely get in their you know own local bookstores and shit but that's what's important and that's you wanting to help is what's going to make it happen you know because you need the support of others you need those people to have you on or you know you uh, anything from this podcast like i was just a i am just like a not i don't get booked a ton just a comic from massachusetts and i was able to have people agree to be on and be able to grow some type of a following off of just people being kind and wanting to help out oh yeah man i mean it takes a village we're all in this together and i really together, together we're all we need you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, I really do appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties at the end, but do you want to plug your, your website where you can get your book? And Yeah, go to samtalent.com to buy a signed copy of Running the Light. I sell them out of my fucking house. Uh, so, yeah, if you want the audiobook, it's available wherever audiobooks are sold. Um, if you have a kid, the crib is just going to be made out of your books. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to have to use some of this fucking money to buy us a house, which is a terrible <laughs> investment, if you ask me. And then also, you have to decide where you're going to be forever. Like, if you have a kid, like, it's tough to raise a kid nomadically. I don't know, dude. You That's like a whole Cormac other McCarthy. Podcast. That was the whole thing. He had to take that kid on the road with him. He did, man. And that's why he wrote The Road, which was to fix his relationship with his son. <laughs> um, but yeah, my listen to my podcast, Chubby Behemoth, it couldn't be less sincere or uh it's the opposite of our great conversation we had here today it's very <laughs> silly uh chubby behemoth samtalent.com follow me at, at samtalent on instagram i got to get to fucking ten thousand followers so i can get that swipe up that's um, the most important thing that's all the swipe up i, I want hate swipe up I, so bad dude i hate that i check every day to be like <laughs> how many four more followers can i get to get the swipe up I know, dude. I'm just inching along. Please, if you do one thing for me, listeners, just fucking follow me on Instagram at Sam Talent. I'm close. I'm like three thousand away. Get him to ten thousand. Uh, yeah, and then you know, just uh, if my website has all my gigs on it. And if you like comedy, I'll be out uh, on the East Coast. I'll be in Philly and New York and Boston, probably in the fall now. Oh, awesome! Um, I'll definitely come out and check that out. I, I'd love. Yeah. To do you book shows on Cape Cod? I, I know people who book shows on Cape Dude, Cod. So I want to do Cape Cod very bad. It's so pretty there. Awesome. I'll try to get that to happen because I think that could definitely happen. America's so pretty, and I just like to go to places when it's seasonally appropriate. So if Have I can go out there when the Cape leaves Cod? are changing, oh, my God. You've never been to the Cape before? I've been to the Cape. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I want to come out when it's like still almost warm enough to swim, and also it's like pretty. When did you go in the winter where you're just trying to find opium? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I stayed at an needle exchange. Um, 
No, dude, I can't remember when I went. I think I, I think I went out there in July once, and it was very nice, though. Yeah, no, it's it's great in the nice weather, and then it gets real dark and sad during the winter. Yeah, but that's most places. That is most places. But thank you very everyone. Really listen to the audiobook. Read Running the Light because it's amazing. And thank you so much for being on, Sam. I really, I really do appreciate it. Sam, it was a pleasure. Enjoy being young while you are young. Of don't course, be a, and I'll, don't be and a I'll, dummy about it. I'll try not, and I'll see you in person when you come, and I'll get you to the Cape. All right, man. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. This was a blast.